We've been fighting a long time. We have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Hey everybody, it's Steve with Sense of Fidelity. I'm coming at you with Layla Miller. If you don't know how to say it, there's a song called Layla. Yep, Derek and the Dominoes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, uh, Eric Clapton, Unplugged, my favorite version of that. So, yeah. There you go. If you're upset about singing, uh, blame Charles. We started doing that in our show, so we, we'll put a soundtrack out later. Layla, appreciate you coming on. So glad to be here, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. What happened was a friend of my a friend of my wife's told her about the book, her second book that she'd written, Impossible Marriages, and the channel got a mention in the book. So well, why not yeah. reach out to Layla and bring on and let's talk about the book since we're in it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, big time. You're in it um, a, a couple of different times. So one is in one of the stories, which we'll, we'll talk about the stories, but... Uh, and the other is um, at the very end, I, I have very few resources, but one of them is um, a Fulton Sheen talk that's on your channel called uh, Marriage Problems. And I recommend that. I've been recommending that for years before this book even. So it's a, kind of my standard go-to. So thank you for that. Oh, Let's first start saying thanks to the priest because I just took their stuff and put a microphone to it. But uh, thank you for all the priests that do this in general. I say it all the time, but... Without them, well, there's no me. And obviously you see what the fruits of this stuff is, is healing marriages and you see conversions all over the place. So yeah, it's it's incredible uh, that I see the SF name. I'm going, wow, that's this this is worth doing. <laughs> it is absolutely, yes, it is. It's been powerful, even just in my personal life. I, I love your channel and I was really impressed when I started collecting these stories and um, one of the women, I mean, it was completely instrumental in saving her, her soul, as well as her marriage and her family. That's incredible. And uh, hopefully they're listening and I'll just say thanks for, yeah, thanks for that. That's cool. That's motivation right there to keep going as always. Uh, yes. So the first book, what was the gist of the, yeah, the genesis of all these together was the first book. What was the genesis of that? So, okay, I, I've, I have four books all together, but these two books that kind of go together, which is Primal Loss, The Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak, uh -huh. was um, something that I kind of, it was three years ago, I kind of put together on almost a whim, I say, because it's not anything that was on my radar screen. I'm not divorced. I don't, I'm not a child of divorce, um, but something with a, a personal friend of mine who has um been married happily married for years has six kids is a convert she had complications in her life just as we talked as friends over the years that i didn't recognize and i thought well this is weird she's, she's talking about something that is connected to the divorce of her parents when she was a little girl mm -hmm. and this is decades later and so we started talking more about that and um, i was 50 at the time and i thought how have i been walking around for 50 years and not recognizing all these pain you know this pain and these wounds in people walking around me in the culture and well it's because they don't talk about it nobody talks about it you're not allowed to talk about it because it messes up the narrative of you know the kids are resilient and everybody's better off when the parents are happy and and the children are divorced even as adults they can't they don't want to hurt their parents and 
they've never even looked at their own wounds. They don't even know that it's connected necessarily to the divorce of their parents and the, and the shattering of their foundation and their identity decades earlier. So on a whim, because I have uh, somewhat of a social media following, I, I thought I'm going to just ask eight questions off the top of my head to um, anyone who is an adult child of divorce who wants to answer these questions. And I put that out there on social media. What I got back was a bunch of people, like over 100 in the first couple of days, who wanted to answer the questions. Um, many of them couldn't emotionally get through them. They're very simple questions. And the ones that did, I compiled the answers by question in eight sections in the book. And I, I it's 98% of that book is just their words. I didn't I didn't do anything with their words. I just presented their answers. And it just kind of blew up. It hit a nerve. And um, so at the back of that book, because it's such a painful book, like to read the sufferings that are still in the heart and souls of these adult children of divorce, um, in the back of that book, I thought, I need something that's a little bit light to leave the reader without complete despair. <laughs> And so I put in this final chapter, chapter 10, Stories of Hope. And those were stories, different, completely different people, but who's either their parents or they themselves had overcome a disaster marriage. Mm -hmm. And to leave people with some hope that you don't have to divorce. <clears throat> and so that turned out to be a chapter that my bishop, Bishop Olmsted of Phoenix, he said that was his favorite chapter. And then several of the priests said, we could use a whole book of that because we need these hopeful stories to give to couples who are struggling and suffering through what seems to be impossible marriages. Mm -hmm. And so it took me a while because I'm a little bit slothful, but it took me a while to compile another book. And these stories now are um, complete stories of either people whose parents made it through impossible marriages to the end or people themselves in seemingly impossible marriages who redeemed those marriages and the subtitle is um, well the title is impossible marriages redeemed and the subtitle is they didn't end the story in the middle yeah sorry for the so that's, that's the new that's my wife so oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly just because it's a little bit of trivia the first the cover of the first book is kind of this black and white sad picture of a you know just a, a someone sitting alone on a bench obviously a child of divorce just very sad in the fall, in the winter and then this i got my photographer friend to just do the same place but this is green and the couple is growing old together so um it's the different contrast of symbolically what we can do if we don't end the story in the middle and we persevere through um with god's grace we we commit and and see our vow our sacred vow through to the end just like a priest would with his sacred vow um this is what we're called to do so so it's a pretty uplifting book it's kind of tough to read in some places because these are not easy marriages and then uh the tears you know i've heard people have cried their way through it including men who <laughs> were just moved by it um but yeah so in one of the one of the stories was a woman who was deeply into the occult actually and into um, new age and had a really rough marriage and, and just a rough background. And she just happened to flip on your station and she started watching different stories or different uh, presentations. And the one I think she mentions is the one that says, um, there is a hell and I'm in it. Mm -hmm. And when she watched that, she said she knew it was all true. It was all true because she'd been in on the other side. She'd been in the demonic part of things 
And uh, anyway, so that that was a really neat. I think that's story number ten. If anybody is keeping track, so yeah, that's a, that's I think that comes out of Alphonse's Glories of Mario story that comes out and is an apparition, and his mm -hmm. friends there is a hell and I'm in it. And right, it right, yeah, changes his life. Scary. Yeah. When I saw that story and I was going to, I was editing it and going to put it in the book, I thought I'm, I've got to watch everything that she's talking about. So I went and I watched all the, the ones that she talked about. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> everybody needs to be a little bit afraid of hell. I mean, we're not anymore or we just think everybody goes to heaven. So that uh, was eye opening to her and to, I'm sure many other people. So thank you for that. That, that saved that, that woman and that marriage. Purgatory, the book by Father Shoup did that to me. It literally scared the hell out of me. And that wasn't even talking about hell. That was just purgatory. Yeah, I don't want to go there either. <laughs> right. Um, what, was, uh, what was another one that they brought up? You said the Fulton Sheen one. So the Fulton Sheen one is the one that I use. I always use that. Now, ever since I'm kind of the divorce person or the person who can maybe help people, because uh, believe me, these – these stories come fast and furious to me now in the last three years. There are so many people who are struggling through a marriage or who are so afraid because their cousin or their sister or their best friend wants a divorce. And these are Catholic people. Again, I mostly get these messages from very Catholic people. And so the amount of devoutly Catholic families that's bursting apart at the seams and nobody is helping them. Mm -hmm. The church isn't helping. I mean, gosh, God forgive us. We have completely greased the skids as for the exit ramps. Yeah. We help people leave their marriages now in, in the church. Um, so one of the one of my secret weapons has always been I gotta get him that Fulton Sheen, the, the marriage problems video, audio, you know, with the pictures. But uh, right off the bat, he starts off. This is not about your happiness we have this mistaken notion that you're supposed to get married and it's all about your fulfillment and happiness. What? And then of course he's speaking pre Vatican II or pre, at least pre um, what we have now, no fault divorce and that everybody um, can go get their annulment after that. And uh, so it's shocking to the modern ear because you just don't hear this anymore. And, and he talks about, he goes on to talk about, um, I actually got the title really from that because he talks later about the second half is about impossible marriages. The first one I think is more, the first half is more about keeping your vow if you just don't feel happy. And then he goes into these really impossible scenarios or what do you do if you really feel that it's impossible? And um, he doesn't say that means you can go. He says, we took a vow and the vow is um, even if it's, you know, sickness and health and, even moral sickness. And so everybody wants to say, well, my husband is, and it's all mostly women who are leaving now, right? Because everybody's husband is a narcissist. And a lot of that is that they just don't understand the difference between a man and a woman. But we can get into that too. But, uh, you know, everybody's a narcissist now. So that means we can all leave. And, uh, you know, Fulton Sheen talks about moral sickness is a real thing too. And part of what he's talking about is alcoholism as well, because addiction back then would have been more alcoholism, probably more than pornography or um, uh, drugs. But in these stories, in this book, we have plenty of alcoholism in the stories and, and plenty of um, pornography addiction. But he talks about addiction too. Those are These are moral sicknesses. So if you've taken a vow to love someone through sickness, and health, just like Christ would to the end, 
what does that mean? So he, he touches upon moral sickness. And anyway, it's just, it's so good. And it's really almost hard to, it's so simple. There's simplicity in all the things we're trying to complicate now, but we have to just go back to the simple truths. And he really hammers those out in marriage problems. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was the other one. That's just so, so good. And I think she, the, the lady in, in, in uh, story number 10 talks about there's a hell and I'm in it that she watched. And then she said she would keep census fidelium in a loop on her phone and she would just keep watching more and more. And it just turned her into a very holy woman and even changed her husband and her, her children. Yeah, that's, I, I'll I'm, I'm done. We're out. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. You did a great job, Steve. That was it. You did fantastic. So job well done. I'm going to move on to another work, work of life now. I got my, got my one in. Now, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. no, uh, where our situation, we got a, uh, walking into the bedroom, I got a picture of a uh, blessed Carl and Zeta, who, mm. if nobody under, knows the significance of that, is when they got married, Carl turned to Zeta and goes, Now it's our job to get each other to heaven. And on my side is uh, Timothy and Mora. Uh, there's a sermon that one of the priests brings up of St. Timothy and Mora. If, are you familiar with the story? I'm not. They're, he's young Catholics, they just got married. Uh, they find out Tim's uh, on the wrong team. The emperor does. Wants him to pinch some incense to the you know, gods. So long story short on that, he's on the cross. Mora, beautiful lady. The emperor's trying to tell her, come to me. I will take care of you. You don't need that guy anymore. I'll make you rich. You're already beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Because she goes up to Tim, tells him, renounce it. We just got married. We've got this long life ahead of us. Stop doing this. Maybe maybe she's yelling out, it's your pride. You've heard that. I'm sure the husband's probably heard that before, vice versa. He re he rebukes her from the cross. Maura, why can you do that to me? This We can't re you know get rid of our faith like this. This It's tough. You can't just give up because it gets tough. She goes back to the emperor, cuts her hair off, tells, her, tells him that she's a Christian, you know, repents, goes to the base of the cross, tells him to forgive her, ask for forgiveness. And again, long story short on that, they crucify her on the other side of the cross. Wow. So what wow. Father's talking about is in marriage, you basically, you're both going to be on the cross. Uh, and that's so powerful. And it's so different from the mindset of the modern Catholic who really, truly has adopted the idea of the culture, which is that marriage is a you know we hit the ground running at the wedding day we're so in love isn't this a great romance and it only gets better from here and we need to you know i i have now married someone who's going to fulfill my every need and it's going to be a just such a wonderful feeling all the time and butterflies no, flying around yeah no one's going to go wrong no one's going to start sinning badly no one is going to hurt us no one is going to um, Disagree. Cease, cease to, yeah, emotionally fulfill every desire I have because you're my soulmate. And, you know, we have these images in our head now of what marriage is, and it's based on this faulty. Uh, yeah, it's fallacious. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the idea that it's a feeling, you know, and, and that it is a, um, it's a great romance. Well, yeah, it's a great romance in the same way that the crucifix is a great romance. You know, the, the, the spouse, our ultimate spouse loved us 
that much that he was willing to go to the cross and be tortured and killed for us, for love of us. But um, we, we forget that's a great romance too, and we don't want the cross. So uh, these, these people, they were ultimately able to see that the cross is love. Like that, that's how we are sanctified. That's how we are redeemed. And um, so many people today, when they hit the cross, they see it as, oh, that must mean that I haven't found my soulmate. I, it must mean that God, I didn't want me with this person. Clearly, he wanted me with someone who can make me happy. And that's what marriage is. You know, we're supposed to be you know, feeling so good all the time. So, yeah. So even when the, the cross is rough, we, um, you know, we, we see it as a signal that that means our marriage is not valid. I mean, that's, a, that's the new thing now. It's not just that it's a bad marriage. It's that, oh, it can't possibly be valid. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't want this for us. So, you know, I don't know any saint who would say that the cross is something God wants us to throw off so that we can walk to something happy and feel good. They say, I know they say if you do, the next one's going to be heavier. <laughs> and it is. I mean, and, and there you go. You don't have... Um, this the promise of that's so like satan isn't it i mean you know it's just just throw this cross off and you stop the suffering we can we can end this suffering if you just just go over here and and then it turns out you've jumped into you know from the frying pan into the fire you're worse off your children are worse off society is worse off the church is worse off everybody's worse off and we know statistically even just through secular social science that a second marriage is going to fail at a greater rate than the first marriage mm -hmm. So, um, and even if the even if the second marriage is blissful for a, a person, um, and they're so happy because they got to throw that off and, and find the person they really wanted to be with, that doesn't stop the effects on the children um, on either side because usually there's children from both sides, and, and that's that's the whole first book, Primal Loss. You know what happens to the children even if the adults are happy, which is the big myth that as long as the adults are especially sexually fulfilled because this is all connected to sex mm -hmm. um as long as they're fulfilled in their sexual life in their romantic life then everything else is going to be great and and all the children they can kind of everybody can adapt to it and and they're going to be just fine and society is going to be just fine as long as the as long as the desires of adults are given first place as long as me 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 and then everybody else Absolutely. we're about yep. that is that yeah. you see the plan with that with the take a pill society mindset? Mm. Get a headache, there's a pill for that. You got a wound, there's a pill for that. You get instant gratification, buy on Netflix, you gotta watch the thing. Uh instead of waiting for seven day shipping, there's prime delivery next day. And next day. Same thing yep. with marriages, you get upset. I'm already meeting and all right, pull the ripcord instead of persevering. Right. Right. We can't be expected to suffer. We can't be expected to be unhappy. And I just defy anyone to show me a saint that had had that mindset, which is when things get really heated and I am suffering and I'm miserable, that I get to go find something else to do that makes me feel good. I, I don't know that that's in our patrimony anywhere. Um, now, people always get upset with me because I've been accused, I don't know how many times from certain segment of Catholics of saying, uh, you know, oh, you just, you want people to be abused. You are for 
women being abused. You want them to die. You want them to be beaten. And I'm like, okay, what? I, I never said that. And in fact, my whole introduction to the book is only the teaching of the church. And the teaching of the church is, and I always go by, I say, you know, if you're going to argue with me, argue with me with what is written. So either scripturally, uh, the catechism or canon law, mm -hmm. that's it. Or the writings of the saints, you know, we can bring those in too. But um, you know, don't bring me USCCB documents. I don't care about that. They don't have authority over anything. Um, bring me something authoritative. So what does canon law say? When a marriage becomes either uh, dangerous, physically dangerous, um, or physically or mentally unlivable, like where it's just so extreme that you cannot live in it, uh, or if there's unrepentant adultery, mm -hmm. you may physically separate with the permission of the bishop, which every bishop in the United States ignores that canon. Don't get me started on that. But uh, you may physically separate, and this is canon law. You can look it up. I think it's one, I, th I can tell you exactly what it is here. It's um, canons 1151 through 1155. Mm -hmm. You may separate, but, I'll read it directly, um, but in all cases, okay, I'm, I'm quoting, in all cases, when the cause for the separation ceases, conjugal living must be restored. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I go back to, to Leo the 13th, I think it is, where he talks about um, in, in 1880, uh, the church, when, there, when it's come to a point where you can't live together anymore, the church um, always works to reconcile the couple. And he says, uh, Yet she never, even though, you know, it's allowed to separate if it's really necessary physically, yet she never, the church, she never ceases to endeavor to bring about a reconciliation and never despairs in doing so. Mm -hmm. Okay, a couple of nevers. Uh, that's the teaching of the church. It's still there in canon law now. And yet we completely ignore all of that. And we say, oh, okay, if it's really bad and we have to separate, well, that, what that really means is we need to divorce and get our annulment, which we'll get, and then move on to the next romance. And the church, just like the state, gives you almost free, unfettered access out of the marriage. There's almost nothing that will help you stay in the marriage if you're looking for that. And um, JP2 said in Familiaris Consortio that the people who stay, no matter what, you know, they may have to separate and they may have to stand for their vow even after their spouse has left them, abandoned them, and remarried or something. Uh, JP2 said, these are the heroes, the ones who stand anyway, the ones who um, won't just move along. We are supposed to, as a church, we're supposed to see them as, our, as the heroes. We're supposed to see them as the ones who uh, get our support. Where right now what we have is the opposite. We have, uh, we condescend to them. I mean, I have, I've had people kind of, when this all started for me, I had people calling me and saying, there's a certain Catholic divorce ministry person who's out there on all these pretty orthodox Catholic shows saying, you know, you need to move on. You know, there's some, implying that there's something psychologically wrong with you if you're standing for your marriage mm -hmm. while the other person has already gone on with their new romance. And so I'd have people call me in tears and saying, I, I feel like a freak, you know, for honoring my wedding vow, even though it's, it's a heavy cross for me to be alone and lonely. So instead of doing what JP2 said and honoring these people as heroes, for, for, this heroic virtue, 
we mock them, we pat them on the head, we condescend to them, and we tell them they're, they're crazy, and that they're the ones with the problem, not the guy who abandoned or the lady who abandoned. So, so the second section in this book, Impossible Marriages Redeemed, is stories of those standers. So, so those are people who didn't get to the redemption of their marriage yet, mm-hmm. supposedly. We don't know. We don't know the ending. But they're standing for their marriage no matter what, and they are mocked for it. They're the hidden people, you know, that we that we don't pay attention to. So I, I felt they need, their stories needed to be told as well. Yeah, might as well just call people like St. Rita an idiot for sticking they it do. out. Oh, they do. I, I cannot tell you how many quote unquote good Orthodox Catholics have said, if you try to, if, if I or other people like me try to encourage someone in a difficult marriage that uh, is not irredeemable because there's nothing irredeemable. We, we are Catholics. We believe in redemption. If we don't believe in that, then we're nothing. But if you try to say, you know, you know, St. Rita or St. Monica, they are the patrons of difficult marriages. Um, they had very difficult husbands, to say the least. They, people will use a term now that says, oh, you're getting St. rita aren't you? You know, you're getting St. monica It's It's a slur. It's like to say, how dare they bring up these saints who probably today they'd be more enlightened and they would have never put up with the stuff they had to put up with then because now they'd be feminists, right? They'd be more enlightened. And so we discount these, femi- these these saints because they were just so old-fashioned, and we're not really supposed to think that that's why they became holy. It, it's really it's a mockery of these saints, and they um, and yeah, so it's done. It's it's done. They they actually use the saints in a derisive way. Uh, they don't they don't really like those saints. I know my brother used to give uh, not it wasn't grief to me, but. If someone brought up Americanism, he would say, you know my brother's channel. <laughs> and again, it just keeps pounding away. I mean, what was the problem of how we get where we see the mass as it is? Americanism. The first bishop wanted to get the vernacular, turn around, communion in the hand. Now what do we yeah. got? It's all over the universe. Uh, Leo Thirteenth warned about the new church of America. No fault divorce pretty much started in the good old USA. Yes, it did. Yeah, and it's we're we're exporting it everywhere. I think they modeled it actually off the Soviet Union model, to be uh-huh. honest, and then with communism, because they wanted to destroy the family. That was that's pretty much the basic thing you do if you want to spread those types of evils. You have to destroy the family, and so then we took that model on, which and- is probably not a good one to bring on. But we, there is no no person in America who can be innocent and not want a divorce, who wants to stay in the marriage, honor the contract, uh, they will lose every time in court. So it's 100% guaranteed that the person who wants to honor the contract, even an innocent person, will always lose this case. No fault divorce. It's, it's unconstitutional. It's evil. This is evil to the root. And then what you have is this weird situation in America where the, the bishops now, they require, before they'll look at an annullity case, you know, to say if you do maybe have this impediment, which now everybody has an impediment, right? But uh, they require Catholics to go through an evil system first mm-hmm. before you can approach the tribunal. So y- by the time you go through the evil of family court, which rips apart any last, any vestige of goodwill that might have ever been there. Once you lose your children, your you know your, your possessions, your house, your money—they've gone through 
everything. They've ripped you apart. No goodwill is remaining. You're, you're basically getting, I've talked to people who are suicidal after that happens. Then and only then can you go and approach your church. And so any church that would, again, require, again, the American church requires their faithful to go through a system that is at base unjust and evil. How is that possible? Like, it's just, it's, again, I, 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 sometimes I just, I wonder how we got here and I wonder how I never knew any of this before. Cause yeah, I was just kind of going along like every other Catholic thought I was a really good Catholic, but, uh, I'll get, I'll, I'll get somebody to go you for yeah. saying this because <laughs> you brought up Russia and the late great father, John Harden, he was pretty much a expert on Marxism. And he made that statement of America being the greatest Marxist nation out there. And what are we doing to the families, et cetera. And the great point you brought up about the state and divorce, you got to stay, you got, was it, it takes a year for that process to go in before you even go to the tribunal. Yeah. So now you got a married person that's, you know, not to be crude, living a, living a married life. Probably they've been uh, doing a marital act for a while. Now you're asking somebody to cold turkey, try to go out in the world. Your, your mind's all over the place. Somebody just gives you, I don't know, some kind of comfort you might be immediately attracted because no one is no one's giving right. you a hug in a while you're lonely you're you know you're you're completely oh, they used to, they used to base um civil court on uh what withdrawal of marital affection like that would be a bad thing you you were liable for that and uh now we i, I guess we justify it by saying well but thankfully at least among catholics well thankfully you just go get your annulment and get your annulment. You'll find someone else. I mean, you get to have your, you know, people who that's what, what makes people upset with the standards. The one, the ones who stand for their marriages. I've had people get mad at me. Orthodox Catholics just chew me out because I suggest that not everybody should go on and get an annulment that they should honor their vow. Even if it's really, really hard. And it is, it's a lonely, terrible place to be, especially when your church doesn't support you. And they, um, they get so angry because they're like, no, annulments are, it's mercy. It's a way that basically it's a way that people can go on and have sex again. I mean, th this is, they don't want to hear that someone would have to be lonely like that or alone. Um, and interestingly, speaking of John Harden, one of the, one of the stories in here is uh, she's in her seventies now. Her husband left her twice, divorced her two different times over the course of their marriage. They had a lot of children and her spiritual director was Father John Hardin mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. And he got her through this. They are now married, gosh, probably I think over 50 years. Yeah, well over 50 years now. And they are devoutly Catholic, happy couple. But it's interesting to see Father Hardin never changed his understanding of marriage. Mm -hmm. But she had a priest, her parish priest, the first divorce, which was pre kind of pre canon law changes and all that, he uh, told her, no, no, you, you don't have grounds for annulment. She's like, I didn't think so. That's right. I don't have grounds for annulment. And then when he left her the second time, a decade later, the same priest said, oh, yeah, you have grounds for annulment. You know, the same marriage, same priest. What's changed? Well, the mentality of the American Catholic. Um, and so anyway, um, yeah, Father Hardin was the one who kept and carried her through that all the way to a beautiful ending. And she's a saintly, saintly woman. 
Yeah. So pre-canine things don't help at all either. I mean, okay. Do you want my opinion on pre-canine? Everybody says, and people who are on my side who are like, yeah, we need to, you know, everybody needs to strengthen marriage and we need to stop divorcing. And uh, they always want to go to marriage prep. We need better, stronger marriage prep. I, I'm one of the naysayers who says, you know, okay, it's fine. I mean, marriage prep is good. You need to tell people what marriage is before they get into it. But you can have the best, strongest marriage prep. And we do. In Phoenix, we have this great marriage prep program. I have seen people go through it. And then within three years, five years, they're out. They're done with their marriage. They've moved on. They've got their annulment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you got the best marriage prep available and you're still getting your annulment. And you, you used to be this devout Catholic. Well, what happened? Well, when you have suffering years past you're not going to look back at your marriage prep and say what did they tell me in marriage prep oh yeah it was really you know how to communicate be a nice person um theology of the body all these things no you're going to say i'm suffering i wasn't supposed to suffer because maybe because i did get good marriage prep so clearly it's just bad and if it's bad i want out and so no one is there at that point they may have been there pre-cana but they're not there for you when you're having the, the difficulty 10, 5, 10, 20, 30, even 50 years later, nobody is there to help you. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the crisis, you're not thinking back to what the guy said at marriage prep. Um, so you can have all the great marriage prep in the world. I also say there was no marriage prep in most of the history of, of Christianity. It was, it was all, you, you learn from the culture's mores and values your parents you learn from just the everybody knew that marriage was permanent and so you work it out you figure it out and uh so yeah so people when they talk about marriage prep i'm just like good luck i that's not the issue that's really not the issue hey you go to phone sheen's other book uh three to get married Mm -hmm. usually that third guy is not involved in most of these marriages Right. And, and, and that's the interesting thing with all these stories as you read through, and I'm editing through these, I think there's a total of 65 stories in the end. I'm editing them and I'm thinking, there's one thing that's in common. All, all these stories are at base conversion stories. And I never really thought of it that way until I started editing and realizing that one spouse, at least, ended up having a conversion of heart, that they decided to change themselves and they decided to root out their own sins and they decided to bring God in and his grace and they decided to forgive. They decided to not uh, resent um, you know, all these things. And I thought, my gosh, this is virtue. They just, someone decided to be a saint and that's how God works. And so that's why these marriages were not irredeemable because you, if you have a saint, even if one of the per- persons is a saint or working towards that, you're going to be able to redeem this marriage on some level, even if the other person doesn't quite go all the way with you, or even if the other person, again, leaves completely, the stander can still be the same. Um, thankfully, most of the stories, 50 of them, are redemption stories where the marriages were redeemed in the end. But uh, I've seen women, especially now, because those are the ones who were leaving uh, mostly, uh, leave for much, much, much less than any of these things that were going on in the marriages in the book. They'll leave for, you know, he doesn't tell me I'm pretty. That means he's emotionally abusive. No, it means he's a man. You know, he's not emotionally there for you because men aren't emotionally available in the way that women are. He's not meant to be your girlfriend. Did you notice and my shoes? So many no. people think that. <laughs> that was one time I was, uh, uh, most people know I drove Uber for four years in Denver. And one time I was driving 
eight inches of snow. It's a snowstorm, just December, January out there, negative one. I'm trying to make sure there's no ice on the thing. This girl runs out of the apartment with her, I guess, boyfriend. I don't know, husband, boyfriend. And was gets in the car and she just has a sh- sh- skirt on and high heels. It's, oh, my feet are frozen. I go, madam, I don't know how to tell you this, but nobody cares about your shoes. <laughs> Dress, come They're on not as good as, yeah, in fashion is, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole discussion to be had about how women think and how men think and how most of the problems we have in our culture and our marriages have to do with women not understanding men and men not understanding women. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I spend a lot of my time talking against feminism because feminism is simply, it's it's about denying the differences, right? Even though we know that men are evil, horrible people. So I guess there must be some difference, but we're denying the differences at the same time Men are supposed to understand women. They're supposed to understand our emotions, what we need, what we want to hear from them. They're supposed to read our minds. But women are not supposed to understand or even care about what men think. I mean, that, or how their nature is. We're, we're supposed to just ignore that because they're brutes. They need to be like us. So you've got this imbalance where sometimes women think that the bad things that are happening, they think, are just these terrible things in their marriage. It might be something as simple as misunderstanding the nature of a man versus the nature of a woman. And a man is very task oriented. He's focused. He's thinking about, you know, protecting and providing. And, you know, he's not thinking about how can I fulfill her emotional needs. Um, He's doing what he was hardwired to do by God. And it's not a bad thing. And yes, his voice is deeper. And so when he yells, it's going to sound scarier. But when a woman yells, it's pretty scary, too, because she's shrieky and wrathful. But in our minds, that means she's noble because she's just telling him how to be better, you know. But if he yells at her, oh, he's so abusive, he's screaming. Well, so are you five minutes ago. You're screaming too. You just your voice is lower. Uh, you know, well, he's so critical of everything I do. Well, you criticize everything he does. But for you, it's noble because you're making him a better person according to your dictates. And he's criticizing you. But that means he's just a, he's a terrible, terrible brute who's, who's hurting you. Okay, you're both being, you're both criticizing each other, you know, so let's look at sin. And let's look at the nature of male and female and let's try to um, realize there's no, nobody who has a corner on virtue or any either sex, you know, and, or has a corner on sin. We're both equally able to mortally sin and equally able to become virtuous. So I was just when you were talking about that, I mean, yeah, I mean, we both, both sexes fail every day, blame the other, no one wants to my fault own up no one wants to apologize uh stuff like that could just you know diffuse a lot of things i'm trust me i'm i'm looking at myself when i'm saying this so i that that guy that i'm looking at will continue will take that advice but i was thinking of uh diedrich von hildebrand and his wife uh alice yeah yeah alice she had a uh there was a story of him asking her what is the biggest uh, what is something I do that just drives you absolutely batty? And he was going to change that. And she said, leaving the soap wet. <sighs> and he was expecting something, you know, like I got, you know, no pants over here or something. And right. so for the rest of his life, he made sure that that soap wasn't wet. He would dry it off with a paper towel or something like that. And right. Little things like that build big things for the positive side. 
huge. And it's a matter of you. What, what we're doing lately is he's not doing this for me. And then, and I can only speak from the female perspective, but I know that this is a problem that then the girlfriends come in because girls talk, you know, women talk a lot and the girlfriends come in and they say, he's not doing what? He doesn't do that for you. That's terrible. Well, he's not, um, you know, being the way he should, he's not being good to you. And you shouldn't, you don't deserve that. You need to take that rather than what we should be doing is what you said is how can I be good to him? You know, and then he's going to be more likely to say, oh, my wife is such a one. I love my wife and I'm going to try to please her. And so another thing I was, I've talked to Dr. Christine Bacon. I love her. She's, she's a, um, a marriage person and she's got some great, great things on male, female issues and she's a good Catholic. And, uh, you know, there's this cycle of, um, if, if a man, all, a man, you know, really wants to please his wife, ultimately, if he's got a happy wife, he's going to be happy. And when a man can't please his wife, which is pretty often because we're difficult to please sometimes, um, he gets deflated, you know, and then he feels like, well, I can never, I can never please her. And then if he can't please her, he kind of stops trying a little bit. And then she feels like he doesn't love her. And so then she feels deflated because, well, he doesn't love me. And, you know, a woman wants to feel cherished always. A man wants to feel like that he's a hero, that he can, you know, be respected as a man. So we go through this vicious cycle of, of um, deflating each other and not being able to, you know, the women, the men can't please their wives, so they give up. And the woman doesn't feel loved, so she starts to criticize her husband. And then it's the circle. And it affects your testosterone. It affects the woman's uh, oxytocin. I mean, it's crazy. It's hormonal. It's everything. So you see that constantly, and it starts to bring a marriage down to a point where you think, well, this isn't a good marriage. It's a terrible marriage, when really it only may require a little bit of tweaking, just a little bit of unselfishness, like you said. Instead of how can I get what I want, it's how can I please my spouse? And that's goodwill. And when goodwill, what's that? Be a team player. Yeah, exactly. We're on the same team. We're not, we're not, we're not, um, you know, coming in uh, conflict, we're not trying to conflict with each other and have combat. We're trying to be on the same team facing the same way. And um, people get into bad habits. So, but that can spiral. I mean, you know, you get into these situations where it's really not a big deal, but it becomes a big deal. And then you start feeding that. And that's what Satan wants. You know, I think Father Ripperger said in one of his Things the first thing that Satan wants to do in a marriage is to is to change the spouse's opinion of the other spouse. So once you can go from my my husband's great, I love my husband, and then there's somebody who suggests, well, what do you mean he doesn't tell you you're pretty? Mm. How come when you get dressed up he's not saying you're pretty right away? Oh, instant. Well, maybe he's maybe he's not very nice. Wow, maybe I'm being emotionally abused. Maybe, and it just in one second. Satan can get in there and change your mind about your spouse. So anytime someone is trying to put a wedge between a husband and a wife, we should always know to run the other way. Um, even if they're well-meaning, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Putting a wedge between a husband and a wife is, is demonic. Um, because you want friends and people around you that stand for the marriage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean, again, that you're, if you're being beaten or you're in danger, you know, might say, look, yes, you need to separate. Yes, your husband's a dangerous drug addict or alcoholic. Yes, you need to separate. Or yes, your wife is so mentally ill, she's beating you and the children and she's psychotic. You may need to separate. But someone and the people around you, your priest, hopefully, your Catholic therapist, 
again, these are hard to find, your friends, the community that stood up at your wedding, all of them should be saying, we will support you by supporting your marriage. We will make sure that we do everything we can to support your marriage. And then you know you have good friends. And even if that marriage has to go through long periods of separation, you're not encouraging a destruction of something holy and sacred, which is a marriage. It's a one flesh union. So yeah, one voice had, is enough to do that sometimes. Yeah, we've had traditional, we, I know of a traditional priest that told a friend of mine to get divorced. And I have some trad friends that have done, said that to other friends of ours. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not yeah. just one group, guys. It's uh, all across, it's universal. It is, it is. And there is, um, I mean, we could get into this too. There, there is a, there is one, the catechism says there is a, a point where you can tolerate civil divorce because civil divorce isn't divorce. It's not actually being unmarried. Mm -hmm. If there's no other possible way, and this is the actual wording, you know, no other possible way of securing certain legal rights, um, you can go through the civil courts. It doesn't make you unmarried. And the problem is very few Catholics go to civil divorce that way. If they have to go to civil, or if they do go to civil divorce, they usually do it with a mindset of, this means I'm unmarried now. This means I'm moving on. This means, it's like, no, no, that's not what it means. And the church needs to stop pretending that's what it means. Um, I'll give you a quick, quick example. I have a friend, and I've written about her, but she had to go to civil court because her um, very, very, diff I would say there's lots of addiction, lots of issues, lots of problems, was putting her in uh, arrears on her mortgage. She couldn't pay her mortgage. He had a lot of money. Mm -hmm. She had nothing. He was trying to do this to punish her. Um, she had to go to civil court to get her finances to, to protect her very young children. There were several children. But she never once ever believed that she was unmarried. And she still to this day doesn't believe she's unmarried. Um, it, it actually turned out that she didn't, she wasn't the one who actually filed it and ended up being him. But she would have had a right to do that to save her roof over her head. Um, but she always knew that she was standing for her marriage and that her husband was a very sick man that she wanted to pray for and she wanted to hope that she can still get him to heaven at some point. So she's still standing for her marriage. There's no, um, I went to a civil divorce course, court, therefore I'm unmarried. Not at all. But does she get any support for that from the church? Not really. Not really. Yeah. She even went. She even went to the the the, um, the bishop to say I, I. She went via canon law and said I, I need permission because he's dangerous. I need permission from the bishop, like canon law says, to be able to physically separate. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. Because nobody follows that, so she did everything right, and she still didn't get any support from the church. So we have we have a real issue um, letting very fixable marriages just just be destroyed with no resistance. Even a fight. And then when we do have a real problem that does need to be addressed, um, and they're trying to do things the right way, they get they get ignored. Like what? We don't know. What, we don't know what you're doing. They probably were just. Yeah, that's not a canon law we're interested in. So we have we have a lot of problems. <laughs> no, I remember. I mean, there was a lady I met at. Uh, I, I was I was trying to bring this one family back into the church, and they were going to this one of these rock band places. I was mm -hmm. like, All right, here you go. I'll go to your thing. You're coming with me afterwards with the kids to a solemn high mass after. 
so yeah. I'm waiting for them at the base. There's a new was a new spring. Uh, it's new something. It's, you know, whatever sofa name groups. I don't know. It sounded like a, they sold beds, whatever. Anyway, right. uh, oh so they have these greeters. So I'm just shooting a breeze with this one lady because she asked me, "Hey, can I help you?" And I'm telling her what's going on. Come find out, she's a fallaway Catholic who left because her husband left her, and somebody told her she couldn't receive communion because her husband left her. So she left the church altogether with her family to go somewhere else. By the time we got done talking, she's tearing up, not wanting to hear what I had to say. Well, she was hearing it, but not wanting to say, you're right. Seemed like it was getting in there before she got called off to go to the soda station or whatever it was in the thing. But how many others like that? Well, that's the other thing that people don't understand. And uh, I try to explain this too in the catechism. uh, the, The innocent abandoned spouse is an innocent abandoned spouse. They didn't commit the sin of divorce. They didn't break the family. Mm-hmm. So they are not, assuming they have no other mortal sin, you know, that there's no mortal sin on their soul somewhere else in their life, they're free to receive communion. They didn't want this divorce. This is not something that they did. On the flip side, we have the other problem, which is people who did break the family. I know people, I know a guy who went off, had an affair, um, uh, p- both priests that they approached said, yeah, that's fine, because clearly you guys aren't compatible. I mean, the woman is like, what? I- I'm the innocent abandoned spouse. Oh, no, you know, he's not happy. He needs to be able to f- be free and go on. So he's living in adultery. Uh, he's going up to communion. Um, but even if he hadn't gone off and had a new romance, if he abandons his family, if there's not a just reason for him to leave, like danger, like we talked about, if he abandons his family just because he's not feeling it anymore, that in itself, abandonment of your family, breaking this marital contract is in itself a mortal sin. That is a very bad sin to do, abandonment. And uh, that person can't go up for communion, even if they aren't remarried or having an adulterous affair. That person has to get back and reconcile with the partner, with their spouse. But if you're the abandoned spouse and you're innocent, that's not on you. That's not on you. You are more than welcome to continue in the life of full communion with the church because, as the catechism says, you are not morally culpable for that. So that's what I was telling a friend of mine. They don't want to think it through. Sorry. That's what we were, my wife and I we were talking about. We, we did these uh, St. Paul Street team things and uh, would go to evangelize the Protestants. And she told me one time, it was a great line, of we got to worry about our base. The base yeah. don't know anything about the faith. How can we evangelize the, right. the rest? If the common right. Joe, Jane and Joe Smith has zero clue. That's what I always said. I, I'm a revert. So I didn't, I was raised in the seventies and eighties, poorly catechized. I, I almost left for a Bible church. I, I, my mom told me to find out what you're leaving before you leave it. This is in my mid twenties. I'm married with three kids. Uh, my husband's Jewish agnostic. I'm going to go to a Bible church. She, my mom handed me a book of apologetics from Carl Keating. I suddenly figured out my faith at age 26, 27. Uh, we had five more kids after that. My husband converted. You know, All these things happened just because I finally learned my own faith. Mm-hmm. And so when I started teaching the faith 25 years ago and then onward, I, I remember I was always debating Protestants initially. I'd have online these debates and my blog and different things that I was doing. And then I started realizing we need to – just evangelize Catholics. Like that's 60 some million people, I guess, who are call themselves Catholics. 
So even in my first book on pri- uh, the, the divorce book, Primal Loss, people, I, I got interviewed by some secular people and Protestants and such. And a few people were like, well, you know, the only thing is there's a lot of Catholic stuff in there. These are Catholics mostly, not all, but mostly. And I, I will never apologize for that because if we just get the Catholics back, we win the culture. Yeah. So if, if just the Catholics would live their faith, the culture's ours. And so I don't care if, if I, you know, if, if no one else understands what I'm talking about when I talk about a sacrament or um, we just need to catechize our own. So you're right. You're 100% right. Yeah, was, I think it was Solange Hertz. I want to say the book of apostasy in America, maybe it was. She's mm-hmm. quoting somebody else saying basically everyone in the pews are Protestants that go to mass. Yeah, that's right. They don't know. They, they are. They do not understand the deposit of faith. They don't um, know what the church is. They think it's opinion and I can take this and leave that. And I'm, they, they don't know. I didn't know when I was ready to leave. I mean, how could I walk away from the Eucharist? So yeah, we were the yeah. same way. We punched our time, our time card, go to confession once a month or once every season and mm-hmm. recite the same sins over and go up yeah. and go to mass on Sunday, drunk, maybe not drunk. I don't know. And we're thinking about the, you know, Notre Dame game or, you know, kickoffs in 30 minutes. Can we uh, speed this up, Padre? Yeah. Normally, yeah. 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 I, I remember one sermon in all my life, and it was on the Bears. Wow. <laughs> that was before I came back, you know, long before I came back in. in your head, yeah, yeah. It's the only one I remember as a kid. Wow, yeah. That's interesting, yep. Yep, and uh, I'm yeah, sure right the marriage prep wasn't that great at that parish either. Yes, no. I mean, they. it's, yeah, we are, I mean, I don't want to think that it's almost by design, but I, all I know is we have had a cataclysmic, loss of faith. I went to Boston College, a fine Jesuit institution. And, uh, you know, not one, and that's even Peter Kraft was there, but I didn't know. I didn't know Peter Kraft. I didn't care. I didn't take mm-hmm. any classes. But uh, not one person that I know, including myself, came out of BC as a stronger Catholic than going in. I think pretty much almost everyone lost their faith, what, what little faith they ever had. Um, so there's no no, there's no um, imperative to learn the faith, to progress in the spiritual life, to uh, learn anything about natural law, truths, or doctrine, or um, nothing. It's I, not there. I go back to Bishop John Carroll. They, he was picked by Franklin. Why? Because they traveled from their area in Baltimore, Maryland, in D.C. area, or Philadelphia, to Quebec, and never talked and back and never talked about the faith according to Franklin. That was our first bishop that was recommended by the guys because the bishop even tried to convert him. And you see what the Irish, you know, when the Irish come over, they didn't want to fight anymore. They already got persecuted back in the homeland. Get here. Let's just get along to get along. So yep. over the decades and centuries to where we are now to, hey, we're just like anybody else. Who cares what religion you go to? Yeah, we're proud of not offending anyone. Mm-hmm. And gosh, I'm pretty sure, you know, Christ offended a lot of people. <laughs> and the saints offended a lot of people. And I always tell people, if your Catholicism is loved by and acceptable to the world, you're doing it all wrong because the world shouldn't like your Catholicism. The, the world and the church are opposed. And Christ was very clear about that. 
you know, and so everybody, when they, you know, there's a lot of Catholic influencers and people who, you know, as they try to build their brand or be better, uh, more popular, because they think they're going out to evangelize, they don't notice they become more and more like the world. And the world likes them more and more. And they see that as a sign of I'm doing something important and I'm doing something great because the world likes me. Look how popular I'm becoming. And next thing you know, they're waving the rainbow flag and they're arguing against devout Catholics who are mean. All of a sudden, you know, who they used to be is mean. Well, because we can't influence the world that way if we're so mean because, you know, we're driving people away from Christ. It's like, no, you're becoming the world and you don't even see it. And then it's too late. And uh, so I see that all the time. If you look like the world, it's probably not a good sign. And how many priests preach on marriage? Oh, my. Mm. Even, let's not even bring up contraception. Marriage. I've heard one, I, in my 50 years since I, the time I was cradle Catholic, I'll never miss mass through except till around college in the early years of their adulthood. Uh, 50 years before I heard my first homily about divorce and how is that possible the, the entire base of society is built on healthy marriages and whether marriage and families are uh ordered and again we know disorder in society look around us today my goodness disorder in society is because of disorder in the family mm -hmm. we know this so but you never hear about it you never hear about it. And and interestingly, I do hear a lot of like, you know, intercessory prayers and stuff. I, I go to Novus Ordo, a really nice, good one, as traditional yeah. as well. But, um, I, uh, <laughs> but I have in my travels and, and in everywhere, I mean, you hear sometimes the intercessory prayer for marriages, you know, that marriage is between one man and one woman, which I agree. Yes, we need to hear that uh, because that's against gay marriage, quote unquote gay marriage. But we don't hear that it's between one man and one woman and it's permanent. So it never quite gets the divorce part in there, which is it's permanent. You can't leave a vow, a permanent vow. I think it was St. Ignatius who said, you have to go into, you cannot over exaggerate the permanence of marriage or um, holy orders like those vows those you can't over exaggerate you don't have any choice after you enter those vows it's mm -hmm. permanent it's done it's over and i laugh because i'm like that's certainly not where we are now I mean, we we catholics we tolerate we, we say we say we're against divorce in theory but in practice we are not against divorce in practice we are 100 like the culture we're fine with it uh, you say that about a lot of things, you know, Christ said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And think about how many people say the right things and they, they might type it online or tweet it out, etc. But when the rubber hits the road, it's usually a different story with them. When it's their when it's their family or their friends, they're OK with divorce if someone's unhappy. Mm -hmm. They will talk a big game about divorce. I've, I've had to deal with good Catholics who really do. They're like, yeah, you know, we love what you're doing, Layla, this is great. And then if it's someone they know, or if it's someone in their family, or if it's themselves, then, mm, well, but my marriage isn't valid, or that person's marriage isn't valid, or this is a real problem. Like I'm thinking, who, who did they think Jesus was talking about when he said no divorce? I'm pretty sure he knew there was alcoholism. You know, I'm pretty sure he knew that people were grave sinners that we're going to marry. 
Um, pretty sure he knew all that and he still said no divorce. So who is he talking about if all your friends get exempted and all your family gets exempted and you get exempted, who is he talking about? I, it, it is really shocking to me how we will make excuses for our own situations. Everything. Yeah, for everything. Yeah. Everything. Prayer. So always an exception we, we don't we don't, we don't. Yeah. i have a friend who says everyone wants to be the exception not the exceptional <laughs> you right. know and it's true. Uh, there was another way everyone's the immaculate conception except for the immaculate conception yeah exactly yeah yeah everyone's infallible but the pope everyone yeah yep our opinions mean a lot to us apparently so what yeah. are uh, some good resources for people that are struggling in marriages uh etc I have very few to offer. This is the sad part. Um, you will have many, many resources for anyone who's separated or divorced in every in these parishes and, and dioceses. You've got tons of divorce and separated support groups, and they'll help you funnel through the process. Uh, very few that will help you save your marriage, if, unless you get a really good priest or a really good rare counselor, because um, they don't have the tools. They don't know. So I always I recommend. Um, Retrovi has been good for a lot of people. So for difficult marriages, people, you know, to try Retrovi. Um, for counseling, that type of thing, um, and it's free, I would recommend the Alexander House. They actually are mentioned more than once in the book. And I actually now know Julie and Greg Alexander very well. And they do not believe in divorce. And they will teach what marriage is. And they are amazing. Um, so the Alexander House Apostolate, and again, it's free because they 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 run their apostolate off of donations, so that nobody is turned away. Um, I think you have to have both people, both parties need to want to get help mm -hmm. um, to to go to the Alexander House. Um, I wish I could say there were places to go. I, I can tell you for the children of divorce, there's a few places um, to get healing and help, and one would be um, Life Giving Wounds just google that that's dan miola he's fantastic uh and for young adults and teens who are struggling with their parents separate separation or divorce restoredministry.com that's joey pontarelli he's fantastic again i know these people personally a lot of what's out there for marriages is is secular therapy and it's terrible because it just tells you that you know oh you're not you're not being fulfilled and your person isn't doing what you say and so that means, you know, you can move along now. Um, very hard to find good resources. So I would, um, and again, you know, not just to push the book. I, I, I make the first book available for free. I, that's why these two of my four books are self-published so that I can give the PDF for free whenever I want to because people need it. Uh, and I plan to do this as soon as I recoup the, the expenses for it. But um, reading these stories will give you ideas forgiveness, adoration, confession, finding a priest who won't counsel you for divorce and who will be in the battle with you, changing your friends so that they won't support divorce, um, becoming a saint, looking at your own sins and not the sins of your 12-step you know, programs are great. A lot of that's in here too. Is like, how do you learn how to not be so caught up in your spouse's sin or addiction and just stay in your own lane and, and become a saint yourself. And then you start to see things change. So there are a lot of different things that can be done. But um, as far as like programs or things like that, 
uh, is it Fitzgibbons? He's, he's really good. Dr. Fitzgibbons, I think he does a lot of marriage work and he has um, a book out. Um, and I think he's pretty good about not counseling for divorce. Um, but it's tricky because you, you, you think that even really good priests would be trustworthy. And I have sent people to people I thought were really solid, solid priests. And I come to find out that that you know, particular priest and some of the counselors counsel for divorce routinely even when people don't come looking for divorce. And I have been floored by how little they know how to counsel married people. And the good ones are, they tell me, we, we aren't taught how to deal with marital troubles. We don't know, we're not therapists. And then therapists don't have tools. So they just kind of pass it along to the divorce court and annulment. Yeah, before so we, we have, have, we, uh, the, I didn't even know about the right of betrothal. I didn't, even, something, yeah. I didn't even know you couldn't get out of that. I mean, we weren't trying to do that, but she, after we got married, she told me, yeah, you couldn't even get out if you, you know you wanted to because of the patrol. You had to go to the bishop to get out of that. I'm going, I had no idea. And that's maybe that's added grace before you get married that we're not getting anymore to prep you before you get married. I, and I don't know too much about that. I do know that we used to, at the marriages, have that exhortation before marriage. Mm -hmm which was so beautiful and I, anybody can use it. You can ask the priest, but it is about the unknown. Like you are vowing something here that is hidden from your eyes. You have no idea what you're going to be basically facing, but you're saying I'll do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And if we have that kind of mentality, that's so much better than, Oh, you're going to be so happy. And um, you know, God made this so that you're just going to be, just in sync all the time because uh you know as much as i love theology of the body th people get in their mind that means if it's not exactly this perfection that we're reading about that means it's not a good it's not a marriage it's god doesn't want this but the exhortation before marriage says you don't have any idea what hardships you're going to face but you're going to do it anyway because you're vowing to do it 50% of the vow is negative, you know, sickness, poor, bad, you know, and none of it's conditional. But that's not talked about in marriage prep. You know, it, it's it's really not that this, you're in it. You're in it and there's no there's no plan B. There's no exit ramp, except sadly there is because we've put it out there for them, even though it's not supposed to be there. And I'm so, not, and I'm not going to trash TOB, but there's a lot of people out there teaching it that shouldn't be teaching it and pretty much turn into Jovians. Uh, not even knowing what they're talking about, they just end up becoming it by teaching right. that. And uh, yeah, we get dangerous waters. Yeah, we we have to. You can't just um, get on the bandwagon of something and then not remember the the whole of the faith and how the cross mm -hmm. really is part of all of it, and that has to be um, spoken very clearly to people. And that's one of the things that. I always warn people, if you're around people who are telling you to throw off your cross, they're not your friends. If the cross is the way to salvation and you have people saying you shouldn't have to ever suffer anything, mm -hmm. you should be feeling good, then they're not your friends because they don't understand salvation. They don't understand uh, the interior life. They don't understand Christianity at its base is that we are um, saved through caring of the cross, 
to death. Like it actually hurts really bad. And that's how we become saints. And that's how we imitate Jesus and we follow him. So that's not in the modern church. We don't want to hear about suffering or humiliation. That's another thing. Humiliation. You may have to be humiliated staying in your marriage when everybody's telling you you're a fool. Mm-hmm. Stay anyway. Just like being a Catholic now. You're a fool for staying to be Catholic. It's bad. Absolutely. Jump in. The water's hot. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, really, we, how many times have we all been shamed into, you know, why would you stay with such an organization? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. It's it's humiliating. <laughs> I know uh, different cultures, like uh, I think Mexican, because uh, I got some photos of that from the uh, fraternity parish in Mexico and Guadalajara, that they'll wrap the couple in the rosary. Mm. I think they give it to them afterwards. And I want to say some Eastern, like Byzantine, I know a couple that's a fan of the channel. They sent me their marriage photos. They get a cross. They, have, they put their hands over that cross uh, yeah. when they're doing the vows. And that cross goes to a prominent place in their living room. Yes. To have that cross. And my daughter did that. My oldest daughter did that. They had a crucifix at their wedding they held. Um, And then I knew a couple. This was so beautiful. I'd never heard of this before. But um, they had asked the priest if the gospel at their wedding could be the crucifixion. And it turns out, liturgically, it can't happen mm-hmm. that way. So they weren't able to, to have that. But the, the, the sermon, the priest came in, in the sermon and said, um, this is what the couple wanted, and this is why. And they know that the path to holiness is through the cross mm-hmm. and that their marriage is going to be through the cross. And uh, so I thought that was really neat. Like, as a young couple, I'm like, they kind of get it. You know, this is really amazing. So it's amazing how much the younger ones are getting it more and more. It was like there was one chat as I the next inter, next one I got is an English guy. He says chap all the time. The next chap I have, uh, <laughs> there was a kid about 19, 18 years old that he was discerning between joining a traditional order or going to the Carmelites in Wyoming. I'm, going, I'm going 18, 18 or 19 years old. I was wondering where I wanted to play basketball at. And this guy's picking. <laughs> Should I become a priest or a hermit? (laughs) Right. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think God is raising up saints in our midst and we need to find those, those people. And those are our people. So, uh, you know, and I appreciate that more and more now. I'm looking around going, okay, this person understands it's about, uh, it's not about this world and it's not about comfort. Okay. That person's willing to suffer or that person's willing to give up everything. Um, I like that person, you know, and then I want to, I want to be around those people because it helps the rest of us. We're weak. I mean, we really are. And we do love comfort and we do not want to suffer. So yeah, we have to get back to finding those souls that really get it. Where's uh, where can they find the book or obtain the book and see more of your work? So my website is um, LaylaMiller.com. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it's not. LaylaMiller.net and it's L-E-I-L-A Miller.net. And it just has my books and, and some uh, descriptions of them. Um, but they can get it on Amazon. It's self-published. Uh, the first book is also the PDF is available on my website so that you can actually read it without buying it. Um, so that's on LaylaMiller.net. And um, uh, yeah, so Amazon or my or my website. You can't buy it through my website, but it does give you some idea of where it is. And, so, and some some bookstores carry these, but they're doing pretty well. I had Bishop Schneider, Athanasius Schneider, endorse this book. So I love him. I consider him one of the holies 
one of the very holiest bishops we have. And uh, he understands the importance of marriage. And um, so I was very honored to have that endorsement. And um, and Cardinal Serrat endorsed the other book. So, and I'm just, no, I'm just a, a lay housewife, no credentials. And I just ha asked him and they, they thought was marriage is probably worthy. I mean, we need to stop excusing divorce and stop breaking up so many Catholic families. We're destroying ourselves. Uh, so, um, There's something about Fatima with that, uh, wasn't that the final battle? Yeah, that's the final battle. And I take heart a lot with that because those of us who do fight for the family, um, we're, we're a big target and we will be uh, uncomfortable and it is uncomfortable, but it's very important and we can't back down because if the devil gets the family and marriage, he gets everything. I mean, he gets society, he gets uh, souls, he gets generations, generations. It's just so easy for him to get generations if you can get one divorce. This is kind of like a, you could throw it in the pro-life message, which I would argue we aren't too good at at that either. But mm. if you can't lump marriage in pro-life and we're just pro-birth, you know, got you know, right. contraception, marriage, you know, birth, all that wrapped in the one. Uh, I don't know if we might, we might as well just drop the pro-life charge, too. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, I always argue against the whole seamless garment where they're trying to throw everything into the pro-life movement, including, you know, jaywalking and gun control and every possible thing ever mm -hmm. water down the pro-life movement. Uh, but marriage is never, you know, when people want the seamless garment, notice they never put in marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, they never say no divorce. You know, they want their left wing stuff, but they don't want the thing that would save all of us, which is the family, you know, that's how everyone comes through the, even Christ came through a family, a holy family. So we save the family and we can save the world. Um, Speaking of which, Father did a, uh, I think uh, Father Collins did one on the Lenten retreat on St. Joseph. And he makes the argument that our Lord stopped the for first divorce. St. Joseph was quietly going to divorce Our Lady. Angel comes down. And it wasn't because he wasn't getting satisfied. It was because he didn't think he was holy enough to be in the holy same enough. city with the woman in right. the same room that he's in. Right, and right. Squash the and first right. divorce. That's really good. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's good. I hadn't thought of that before. But yes, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, he, my, what my idea is, father's idea. <laughs> that's good. Thank you, father. That was fantastic. <laughs> right. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes underneath, and I'll probably, I'm pretty sure I'll make a link on the .us site and put all this so everyone hyperlink and go right to Layla's site and get the book and share it around to your friends or get it. And if you know anybody that needs it, you hand it to them. Uh, good right. evangelization right there and being a good friend. We're on the, all on the same. I don't want to use the phrase, we're all in this together. <laughs> all in this together. Yeah, we've used that a lot lately. I, I have to tell you one thing, good thing, a suggestion that I've, um, I've told people, if you get, if you since most priests who want to help couples, they don't know how, it, this is a tool. So I always, I try to get it into the hands of as many priests as possible. So if your priest doesn't know how to deal with the couples who are suffering, he, he has a tool now. He can say, here's almost every situation you can imagine and how they redeemed it. And, you know, it takes a little burden off of him, perhaps, of not knowing what to say or do, mm -hmm. especially when these priests are met with suffering women because they don't, you know, they're men. They don't know how to deal with a woman's tears. And, you know, it's difficult. So uh, it takes a little burden off of them. 
<laughs> there you go. Buy the buy buy a priest some candy or something and have give him the book too. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Layla, I appreciate your time. Any uh, final words? You know what? Um, God, Jesus loved us as the ultimate spouse, the ultimate abandoned spouse, and He still loved us to death. If we can love as Christ loves. We will save our marriages. We will save our families. We'll save generations. And we will merit so much grace that we could turn this culture around. So please, everyone, take divorce off the table. And once you do that, you're going to find a whole bunch of other options for what to do instead. So, um, you know, just, just stay strong in your marriages. Honor that vow no matter what. And watch, watch the miracles. God will, God will bring miracles to you. Amen to that. And if you're listening on iTunes and not watching the video, it's Layla Miller, Impossible Marriages Redeemed. Again, show notes will have all the links. And uh, yeah, check out the site. Don't forget to click subscribe, all that jazz. I'm terrible at saying all that at the end. Everyone keeps telling me, you got to say it, you got to say it. You know the drills. Everyone else says it. If you ain't subscribed yet, I don't know. I got nothing for you. <laughs> Subscribe, guys. <laughs> Layla, I appreciate your time. Take care. We'll talk again. Thanks so much. God yes, bless. Ma'am.